Hi, I'm Rachel Aiello. And I'm Nick Nettles. And welcome to Trendline. Nick, how's week? Oh gosh, I've lost count of lockdown going for you. How about this? You know, I, I went to high school in Oshawa. We'd say, I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. <laughs> how's that? Good to hear it. I'll take it. I think that's the best any of us can hope for right now. Uh, so we have a lot to get into today. So let's start with what we promised our audience last week, uh, new pandemic report cards. So you've been gathering from Canadians kind of how they're grading their provincial governments on the handling of the pandemic. We're now well into wave three. Is it Fs across the board? You mean as in the letter F? No, not quite. They have veered into F, but it's definitely a uh, definitely a D for both the federal government and for provincial governments. Actually, I have to put an asterisk beside that. It's definitely an F provincially for the government of Ontario. So think of it this way. When we ask about provinces, the national number for province satisfaction or the report card on the vaccine rollout is 5.6 out of 10, which is a D, but in Ontario, they're into new territory, 3.9. So that's like just not just underwater, Rachel, that's kind of like, I don't know if we can do this, diving down further on the score out of 10. But at the top of the list, because we have to give a tip of the hat, if you happen to be in the province of Quebec, uh, you give your provincial or your province a score of 7.6 and in Atlanta, 7.2. But Ontario, definitely an outlier. Lots of grumpy people in Ontario when it comes to the Ontario government on the vaccination. Yeah, grump <laughs> grumpy people who haven't had their hair cut uh, and unfortunately are watching a lot of people around them in really hard spots. So that point there you mentioned, Nick, I really wonder if part of it, of course, it has to do with the fact that we're in a third wave um, and governments promise to learn uh, by now. But I think it's also, a, we're starting to have the accountability conversation, even though a lot of people thought the pandemic would need to end before we dig into what went wrong. Uh, there's been two reports in the last little while coming out about how the Ontario government handled long-term care. And it's just been, you know, really questioning this iron ring that they promised around these homes. Here's a clip from the minister responsible facing questions from journalists about whether she takes responsibility for it. Minister, can you stay a little longer? There are more reporters on the phone line and this is a very important issue. Give any more time. And we have questions from the floor, minister. We have two questions from the floor and we have people on the line who would like to ask more questions. I'm wondering why you're running out. And she's gone. So Nick, she's, you know, uh, the question she did take was saying that I'm only one person uh, and there's, you know, a long history of long-term care being a problem, um, but also then just walking away. Uh, do you think now that because people have had a full year of thinking and hoping things would get better, that the blame is starting to move from the feds to the provinces? Well, I think right now, a lot of, uh, a lot of Canadians are asking, you know, what could have been done, what should have been done over the last year. And I know hindsight's 2020, but you know, everyone has to take responsibility. The federal government has to take responsibility for the procurement of vaccinations and provincial governments and municipalities have to take responsibility for what's happening on the ground. And I think the last thing that any individual wants to hear is for a politician to say, I'm only one person and it's, and it's not my fault. Uh, because the fact of the matter is, is that the, the Ford government has been in power for more than just a year, uh, for a number of years. And, and, you know, the thing is, is that there are issues related to, to long-term care facilities before this, but the pandemic has put a spotlight and exacerbated some of these issues within some long-term care facilities in Ontario. Yeah. And I think part of it too, is a lot of people are burning out. Um, you know, people could hold on when they were told a few more months, 
you know, last March. Uh, but now it seems sometimes that this is never going to end. New variants are arriving and, you know, questions are being raised about when we're actually going to be back to normal. Uh, you've been kind of surveying Canadians on how they're handling this, what, like 16 months into self-isolation. From a mental health perspective, where are Canadians at right now? Well, you know, we asked Canadians uh, just uh, just, re just in the last week or so how they would describe their mental health, whether it was uh, better or worse compared to before the pandemic. And about 44% uh, of Canadians uh, say that their mental health uh, is worse or somewhat worse compared to before the pandemic. But the interesting thing, Rachel, is that last year at the beginning of the pandemic, last April when we asked this, it was 38% in terms of people self-describing it as being worse. So think of it this way. If we are walking down the streets in our neighborhood and we see our neighbors, a minimum of four out of every 10 of our neighbors are self-reporting that their mental health is worse or somewhat worse off than it was before the pandemic. So maybe we have another pandemic going on, one related to people's mental health. And uh, what the trending suggests is that it's not better than it was in the first wave. It's actually a little bit worse than the first wave. And a lot of this has to do with what you're talking about. There's still uncertainty about the end. Everybody's doing, many people are doing what they're asked to do to fight the pandemic, but it seems like we just can't win on this one. Yeah, and it's a great point to think about when you're at the grocery store or passing someone on the street, you know, everyone's in a different situation right now and totally right that this is going to be something that we're all uh, facing and having to hold governments to account on making sure that the supports are there going forward on this. Um, okay, so that said, we are going to link to some resources in our show notes for uh, anyone. If you are one of those people who is having a hard time right now, that's completely understandable. You are not alone. So we're going to get to a break in one minute, but first, uh, we want to hear from you, the listeners, the viewers of Trendline. If you have questions for Nick or I about federal politics or polling, anything really that we've talked about on the show, we want to hear from you. So we are hoping you can send us an email. Uh, you can reach us at uh, .com at bellmedia.ca. That is D-O-T-C-O-M at bellmedia.ca. Just put trend line in the subject matter. We'll take a look at what you've asked and in a future episode, we'll dig into those. Uh, that said, Nick, stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Nick. Uh, let's get into what, I don't know about you, but definitely has consumed most of my attention over the last you know, number of days uh, definitely has gotten a lot of airtime this conflicting advice uh, when it comes to vaccines so we've heard from the national advisory committee on immunization uh, in the last few days saying you know there might actually be preferred vaccines the mrna so the pfizer or the moderna as opposed to the viral vector astrazeneca or johnson and johnson shots uh, i will note as someone who's covered this for a while it wasn't the first time they've said this it was just the first time a lot of ears got put on it i think uh, and it is, of course, in contrast with the advice we've heard from Health Canada, other federal officials, provincial, you know, anyone who's a public health voice lately saying, get the first shot that's offered to you. They're all good. They'll all protect you. I'm just wondering, you know, this again, how many times have we talked about mixed messaging in this pandemic? What do you make of this nasty confusion? Well, you know, it's not it's not good from a public health or from a public communications or a public confidence perspective. That's all Canadians want to know, quite simply, is. What do you want me to do, right? And you know, uh, one of the key messages that kind of came out 
for the diversity of vaccinations that are out there was basically get vaccinated because if you get vaccinated, setting aside the efficacy that it's 100% effective at keeping you out of the hospital and making sure that the, the virus doesn't kill you. And people can understand that. And I think that when we start to see uh, different healthcare stakeholders and experts start to add extra things and extra complexities, it basically undermines credibility because it creates confusion and people don't know what to do. And you know, the other thing is, is that, you know, what's important is not to have disagreements among public health practitioners because there's already a lot of confusion out there for some Canadians just because of some of the things that are not true that happen to be on the internet. And uh, I think it's, uh, this was a bit of a step back for public health and public health experts writ large. And hopefully they'll be able to kind of uh, move back on what I'll say, a monomaniacal single track message to tell people, get vaccinated. It's the best way to create herd immunity. It's the best way for you to stay out of hospital. It's the best way for you to protect your loved ones and your neighbors. Yeah, and the best way for us to get out of this as quickly as possible as well. I, I, I understand, you know, vaccines and the efficacy, it's a nuanced thing. Yes, there are um, risks with certain ones, very, very rare ones, and people absolutely have the right to be told about those and factor those into those decisions. Uh, but I think the way that they phrased it in suggesting to wait when realistically the number of mRNA vaccines coming into this country, I don't think a lot of people will be waiting for those. We don't know when the next shipments of AZ and J&J &J are coming. Uh, so I think it's something we're going to have to keep watching. Of course, NACI has been highly influential in the past. They're the reason most provinces are doing a four-month interval uh, between doses, uh, but it doesn't seem like some of their latest advice is getting taken. So a shift we'll have to watch as their vaccine rollout kind of continues. Um, but the question a lot of people have asked is whether this is contributing to hesitancy. Canadians have the ability to, you know, read up on this, and there's a lot of information and presenting all of it, I would think is a good thing. And rather than trying to, you know, cover up the fact that Yes, blood clots are possible. Uh, I'm just wondering with, you know, more and more people now able to get vaccinated, Nick, where do you think people are when it comes to uh, wanting to take that turn when it is theirs? Well, we've been very fortunate in Canada that it doesn't matter which survey that you look at, the vast majority of Canadians want to get a vaccination as soon as possible. And they don't really have strong feelings about whatever that vaccination is because they just want to get, they want to get their first uh, jab. Um, and, you know, I think that's that's the good news. I, I don't think something like, like this will have a material impact on, on people wanting to get vaccinated. But what it will do is just start to create questions. And you know, we don't want people to think, and I'm not sure how helpful it is from a public health perspective to think that you know, getting your vaccination is like going to the buffet where you get to pick one vaccination over, over another because you feel that something might be better for you. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is that we have a public health system. It's there to serve everyone. It, it, it procures vaccinations as fast as possible for everyone. And, uh, and, you know, the right vaccinations are kind of made available through different channels. So I don't think this is going to have a material impact on the proportion of Canadians that will get vaccinated, but they'll just be asking more questions about stuff. And there's nothing wrong with asking questions. You know, Rachel, I'm in the question asking business. <laughs> nothing wrong with asking questions. Uh, and uh, so it's just might create a little bit of a hiccup, but I don't think it'll be a major setback. Okay, that is good to hear as someone who's also in the question business. Uh, and Nick, you just kind of threw me there. You mentioned buffets and I had to think, are the, <laughs> what is that? Uh, are we ever going to be at one of those again? Um, tangentially related, uh, stick with me while I do this attempted uh, segue. Um, 
we saw somewhat related this week, the prime minister get into the conversation around lockdowns and um, anti pro or anti lockdown protests. Um, you know, they continue to happening across Canada. We saw a pretty major example, a rodeo in Alberta uh, recently. It, it seems like uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has had enough. Here's what he had to say this week. These protests are supposed to be about getting back to normal, but by spreading the virus, they do just the opposite and prolong lockdowns. So follow public health advice, but don't do it for me or for any politician. Do it for someone in your life that you care about. Do it because you respect your fellow Canadians. So Nick, who do you think that message was actually for? Well, I think, I think that message would be for the, the minority of Canadians who are uh, kind of vaccine hesitant. Uh, but you know, the, thing, the one thing that we have to remember is that everyone wants to put this pandemic behind them. Everyone wants uh, to get back to some sort of normalcy. It's just that we have to have the realization that the only way that we can get back to that is if as many individuals as possible get vaccinated and that we continue to follow the rules. I don't think, Rachel, that we're going to see, you know, a big boom in vaccination and everything get back to normal. I think realistically, we'll have to continue to be very careful, wash our hands, wear face coverings and, and be careful to your point about the buffet. I don't know. I don't think I, I, I don't think it's good to be in the buffet business right now uh, for, the, for the foreseeable future. Uh, but, uh, you know, so I think that's uh, targeted at, at everyone, including uh, including people that are following the rules and the minority of people that are, are just, uh, it grates them the wrong way when they're told by uh, the government to, to do this or to do that. Yeah, and I think kind of flipping the idea of you, you want the restrictions to end, you don't think things should be closed, you want businesses to reopen, um, but the longer that COVID is spreading, the longer it's gonna take for that to happen. So um, I think in another conversation, he also called it a bit ironic, uh, which I think is worth noting. Um, keeping on the vein though, Nick, of the new normal and getting back to some semblance of uh, normalcy after this and reopening things. Um, the conversation around vaccine passports seems to be heating up uh, even more. The government basically all but confirmed this week that we are going to have some kind of paperwork uh, that you have to show if you wanted to tra travel abroad, at least. I don't think it's going to be something we'll see domestically, but um, you know, looking at apps or some sort of paper or card that you'll have with you to prove uh, you can go abroad and travel because you've been vaccinated or if you are from another country and want to come visit Canada, you also have to be vaccinated. I'm wondering, Nick, um, where things stand on vaccine passports. What have you heard from people about the level of support for this uh, as something going forward? Well, there's a new survey that we've just released that we completed for CTV News and we uh, asked Canadians how they felt about kind of having documentation, uh, vaccination documentation in order to travel within Canada in order to go to large sporting events or large gatherings. And about three out of every four Canadians are supportive of, uh, of having what I'll say a vaccination documentation. The other interesting thing, Rachel, that I've seen in polling around the world is that as soon as you start to use the word passport, some people get their backup, uh, that it's actually better just to say what it is, which is you will need to provide a proof of vaccination in order to do certain things, in order to travel from one region to another, in order to maybe go to your favorite sporting event, uh, even if it's uh, social distancing. And uh, the good news is, is that a very strong majority of Canadians support having documentation in order to do those things. And I think they just see it as a way, not just to protect themselves, but for other people to be protected and, and for us to be responsible and not spreading 
spreading the uh, the virus beyond uh, beyond our borders or to different parts of the country. And in the meantime, uh, where are people at with the current border measures? You know, we're hearing from certain premiers that still more needs to be done uh, to ensure that travelers from abroad aren't bringing variants into Canada. Uh, with the current level of, you know, quarantine hotels, flights restricted from certain countries, um, uh, what's kind of the public consensus right now on the state of our border lockdowns? It's interesting, you know, Canada is a border country. 90% of Canadians live within a one hour drive of the, the Canada-US border. And to put this into context, if you remember back in 9-11, when the Americans closed the border, Canadians, from a polling perspective, overwhelmingly wanted to keep the border open between Canada and the United States in order for people to go back and forth. Fast forward now, and you know, we're not fighting terror, we're fighting the pandemic and the COVID-19 uh, virus, but 71% of Canadians in, in a survey that we've just completed uh, want to keep the Canada-US border closed to non-essential traffic for the foreseeable future. So it's not even like for a couple of weeks, not even for a month, it's like for the foreseeable future. And uh, only 8% or less than one out of every 10 want to see the border open to non-essential travel. So, you know, for Canadians, even though they see that the Americans have been making serious and significant headway on vaccinations, uh, because they vaccinated, what is it, Rachel, 200 million vaccinations have gone out the door in the U.S.? At least, yeah. yeah. Even with that, Canadians still want to keep the border closed for the foreseeable future. So it looks like we want to be a little prudent. On, uh, on on travel and individuals crossing the border into Canada. That is interesting, especially considering um, here, Alberta, at least anyways, is now uh, definitely one of the biggest hotspots across North America. And, and more and more, it's going to be the situation where cases are dropping there and more people are fully vaccinated and could have the opportunity to come to Canada safely. Uh, so we'll watch this and obviously stick on this. Um, the border is definitely at least closed until May 21st, I think. Um, but surely it'll get rolled on again. Um, okay, Nick, this was a full episode, um, but you have some great news for our bright spot that we can tell our readers or uh, listeners about. I know as a rule, we're not supposed to talk about our personal lives, but I have received <laughs> the jab uh, through yeah. the Ottawa Public Health. So thank you, Ottawa Public Health. And I'd like to say that I went online, I got my appointment, I booked my second appointment, I showed up at 1120, uh, well, I showed up 10 minutes before because you're supposed to show up 10 minutes before. And uh, my appointment was for 1120. And you know how much of a precision freak that I am. At exactly 1120, I was being injected with the uh, vaccine and, uh, and everything's been good. You know, a little sore in the arm, but uh, no uh, side effects or anything. So it was a great experience logistically. And uh, I'm glad now at least I have a schedule on when I'm going to get my second vaccine. So all's well. That is excellent news. Love to hear it. Uh, that is so great. Thank you, Nick, as always. Uh, if listeners or viewers want to read more about your latest, where can they find you? If you're a data hound, visit the Nanos website at www.nanos.co to get all the stats or follow me on Twitter at Nick, N-I-K, Nanos. And you can follow me on Twitter at Rach Aiello. You can listen to Trendline on ctvnews.ca, the CTV News YouTube page, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.